catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. Fellow fiends, welcome to another terrifying and delectable episode of Nightmare on Film Street. The horror podcast with zero credibility, but all of the blood, ghouls, and gore. Your puny heart can handle. <laughs> Let's give a grave welcome to our hosts, John and Kim. Hello again, fiends, and welcome to Nightmare on Film Street. I'm John. I'm Kim. And this week we are the monster mania over here at Nightmare on Film Street this week. We are talking about two amazing modern creature features. We're talking about The Host, and we're talking about Cloverfield. Yes, I am so excited for this week's episode. We have been wanting to talk about both of these movies forever, and I hadn't revisited either for several years. Maybe, oh, yeah. Maybe yeah, yeah, yeah. five years. Maybe not that much on Cloverfield. But You're watching Cloverfield all the time. I hadn't watched it in a while. Yeah, because not only is it an incredible monster movie, it's also a brilliant found footage film. Yeah. My bread and butter. Oh, yeah. Uh, before we get into both those movies, though, what is keeping you creepy this week, John? Well, uh, we got Roku recently, uh, and so I've just kind of been burning through every old movie that I, I haven't seen before, which has been a lot of fun. I finally actually watched Herschel Gordon-Lewis's Blood Feast. That movie's fucking weird. That movie's fucking crazy. And I loved every minute of it. I thought it was nuts. Uh, also... I thought it was gross. And the dialogue was terrible. Oh, no, it is a it is a cult movie for sure. But it doesn't mean that it's bad. It was pretty goofy. We also watched Bob Balaban's Parents. It's his first feature film. Uh, a little while back, we did My Boyfriend's Back. Parents is a very weird movie. Um, so weird. Very strange, right? It's got this sort of... Um, Pleasantville-esque filter on it. Yeah, like it's got... Like the first half is almost directed by Danny DeVito. It's sort of a nuclear family. It's quirky and, and dark, but mostly humorous. And then it just... It's got these really sinister moments. Yeah, it's like campy with the humor sucked out of it. It's weird, yeah. There's some great camera work in it. It's, it's, it's a really interesting first feature. Like, you can definitely see that... Uh, he's still working some things out. He's not exactly 100% sure what he wants to do, maybe. Um, but some incredible ideas in it, and an ending that is so dark and twisted. It, there there are shots in the ending. The lighting in it is, is brilliant. But it's it's almost like a David Cronenberg movie. Like, not your body horror type David Cronenberg, but, like, the newer David Cronenberg that's just, like, really gorgeous to look at, a, a gruesome, brutal fight scene that might also have some sort of sexual tension built into it. Um, very weird. Randy Quaid, if you thought he was crazy now, you have something coming. Like, you don't even know how crazy Randy Quaid was back in 1989. 
So check that out. Parents by Bob Balaban. Uh, I made us watch Sean S. Cunningham's The New Kid. Yeah, you might remember that name from Friday the 13th, uh, but this does not have a maniac in the woods. I had no idea what it was. It was under the thriller category. It had a really cool, like, horror-y cover to it, so I assumed it was going to get horror yeah. It's a little bit horror. It's definitely just a thriller. Yeah. Um, these kids, their parents die. They go live with their kind of zany uncle who has a runaround Santa's fair it's weird <laughs> in florida um and then these like punk kids are fixated on this girl and she doesn't want to date them and so they decide to like murder her and her brother yeah uh and that's the movie you're um, very the lead here like the lead bad guy is james spader with bleach blonde hair it's kind of amazing <laughs> i thoroughly enjoyed the movie i don't think john enjoyed it as much as i did but i loved every minute of it it's out there it's it's good but I think, you know, unfortunately it's that, you know, directed by Sean S. Cunningham, I was waiting for it to become more of a horror movie. Mm. Um, you know, James Spader's great. Uh, he's nuts. He's, he's a, crazy. insane. And it's one movie. of his first big roles. Oh, and yeah. he is he has reached his creepy James Spader peak and you're <laughs> like, whoa, you aren't even in um there are a lot any of, of those future films you're in yeah, yet. <laughs> I was gonna say there are a lot of like peak weird Spader moments throughout his entire career. Yeah, he just reached that height and just stayed there this is the role i think that got him pretty in pink at least it came out right after pretty pretty in pink was the next movie follow-up to this but it is essentially uh like it's like fear that mark Wahlberg movie uh with the group of teens that are terrorizing a family uh because the girl won't put out basically <laughs> it's it's your standard high school thriller um, also, there are some pretty cool articles up on the website right now, nofspodcast.com. The AMC series, The Terror, just finished up. And if you missed out on it or if you missed any episodes along the way, Nightmare on Film Street senior contributor Tyler Liston has been diligently recapping and reviewing every single episode. And those are all on the website right now. So if you wanted to check out the series, you didn't know if you wanted to check it out, you can go read those, catch up, get a feel for it. I unfortunately dropped off halfway through and I haven't been able to catch up to the episodes, but reading the <laughs> reading his articles, I'm like, damn, we should have watched this show. Oh no, we're we're definitely we're going to. It. We're yeah. totally gonna binge it. But um, I think we've just been waiting for it to finish so we can watch all of it, which I gotta say is probably not the right way to do it. Not if you want more content. Like if you yeah. want if you want the show to continue, if it is on television, you should really be watching it when it comes out. Yeah. Um, I mean, we, we can go to AMC streaming service and watch it from there, and I'm sure our view counts will... will they, they, they do take into consideration that people are waiting for it to finish to binge. So as long as you're, you're watching it uh, within a short time span of it ending, I think you're probably still okay. But that's also why it's probably a miniseries and not a series. That's also a selling feature for me. Yeah. The fact that I know there's going to be an end to it. I'm probably going to read the book later this summer if I come across it somewhere. I'm sure it'll be on sale. Um, another cool article that we have on the site right now is a, uh, a breakdown of exploding heads from Maniac to Scanners to, to Dawn of the Dead. You, you gotta check it out. It's from one of our newer contributors, Colin Buckley. Uh, if you've ever wondered how the special effects artists made those incredible exploding heads. And, like, what's in them. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, surprise, surprise, mostly stuff from the craft services table, but you gotta read it. It's absolutely hilarious. It's on the website right now. Just, just look up Exploding Heads. That's all you need to do. <laughs> 
Um, also, too, we are midway through. We're having a Wake the Dead giveaway with our sponsor, Deadly Grounds. We're giving away a bunch of coffee, Nightmare on Film Street swag, t-shirts, all kinds of stuff over on the website at nofspodcast.com slash contest. It's all in celebration of Listener Appreciation Week, which we are calling Nightmare on Fan Week, and that is going to occur in the later half of June. We'll have more fun stuff for you then. Other than that, before we get started, I want to give a big shout out to our most recent Patreon supporters, Denise, Nathan, Zachary. Congratulations on the promotion. Good luck in Japan. So sorry that, you know, you won't be here. We're really going to miss you over there. Hopefully this little audio capture you can listen to remind you of home. What was that? Oh, guys, something happened. We got to get out of here now. Cora, there's a monster. Hide! Save yourselves! And thank you again for supporting the show. That was very nice of you to do. Um, and I look forward to hiding in the subway tunnels with you. If you want to support the show, head to patreon.com slash Nightmare on Film Street. We're going to have a companion episode and game to go along with this week's episode. We do it with every regular release episode. We do a little game. You're damn right. And this week it's called Creature from the Blue Lagoon. We'll get to that later, though. Uh, and we also do... I'm stupid proud of it. <laughs> and we also do um, large releases, theatrical releases. We do a larger bonus episode for our higher tiered patrons. So if you want to check that out, there's also tons of other bonus stuff. You can get swag and discounts at the merch store. It's also where we're going to have our full drive home from the drive-in review of Hereditary coming uh, in about two weeks' time. I'm so excited. Oh, I cannot wait to watch this movie again. You guys are gonna love it. But enough of that. We're creepy. You're creepy. Let's talk about some monster movies. My name is Robert Hawkins. Approximately seven hours ago, uh, something attacked the city. Um, you found this. If you're watching this, then you know more about it than I do. Run! 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 Filming? Yeah. People are gonna want to know, you know, how it all went down. So Cloverfield from 2008. Currently sitting at a 7 out of 10 on IMDb, a 64% Metacritic rating, 77% on Rotten Tomatoes, and a 3.3 out of 5 on Letterboxd. I'm surprised that Letterboxd rating isn't higher. I was also. Yeah. Um, I'm just going to put it down to the fact that it's found footage, and found footage oh. is... Um, Kind of a like a soft spot for some people. Some people really don't like found footage. Also, I know Cloverfield was one of the the shakiest found footage movies I've seen. So it does make some people nauseous. We will get motion sickness watching it. So I think that kind of can count for some of the rating. Yeah, I think I saw VJ on, which is such a dumb term, but a VJ on MTV when this movie came out. I'm going to assume pretend to throw up while watching a, like, exclusive clip. Like, they were showing it to the audience and it's cool and everybody was tuning in and they got sick while watching it. I don't think that was real. I have never met anybody that's gotten sick watching fan footage. But I could totally understand why it would make you... I don't even want to use the word nauseous. I can understand how you get dizzy. 
I got nauseous when we saw this in the theater. You did not get nauseous. I did too. You did not throw up. Like, that is being nauseous. No, it's not. Nauseous is feeling nauseous. Throwing <sighs> up is feeling nauseous to the point of throwing up. Okay, so you still love the movie, though. Yeah, no, it's, it's <laughs> it wonderful. It was worth it. It's wonderful. I'm sure Fine. if I saw it in theaters again, it would, like, there are parts that would make me nauseous, but... It's just, it's hard to ground your eyes because the camera's going so crazy. That's probably why I give this film so much credit, and especially with the CGI, because there's no stability in the camera. It goes everywhere, everywhere. It's wild. And for them to craft, like, a monster and explosions and destruction in the city and ground it somewhere, like, they would have had to map out a whole fake universe that you don't even see. You're right, because there's no there's no shots where the camera stops and we're just sitting still on a no, spot like, action where action here, happens. Moving on. And then we move back on the <laughs> yeah. blurry, yeah. Yeah, no, it's crazy. Yeah. This is the craziest franchise, and I always love returning to the one that started it all. Like, Cloverfield. Um, <laughs> <laughs> because it each one of the films that is in the franchise, quote-unquote, is so different from the last. And this one, to me, is the strangest in the entire series. Go on. Go on. Well, it's it's a straight-up creature feature. It's a Godzilla movie. The rest of them are sci-fi movies that are revolving around... Well, not even really, right? Because Ten Cloverfield Lane is, is basically a hostage movie that has a sci-fi ending. Mm-hmm. And Cloverfield Paradox is a space movie. Yeah, it's such a strange universe um we revisited cloverfield obviously for this podcast i don't think we've watched it that much at least in the last five years i don't know if we've watched it we watched it a ton when it came out because we absolutely loved it Mm -hmm. but upon revisiting it i had forgotten just how well made it is and it holds up so well even the cgi and stuff which i wasn't expecting to enjoy so well done and I loved 10 Cloverfield Lane. It's It was my favorite movie, I think, of 2016, think so. 2017, 2016. Mm-hmm. I didn't love Cloverfield Paradox. I don't hate it as much as some people on the internet. I just don't, I don't think it belongs as part of the Cloverfield universe. I'm kind of just going to pretend until that it doesn't exist and keep my anticipations high for the next official Cloverfield film. Yeah. Um, part of the reason why I didn't like Paradox is because... The the universe is too large in that. And what I mean by that is it's not it's not a small, tight story. What I love about Cloverfield, the first film, and 10 Cloverfield Lane is you get one small vantage point of this very large situation. Uh, Cloverfield is kind of proposing what would a Godzilla film look like from one of those little people that he sticks in his mouth. Mm-hmm. That's what Cloverfield is. Cloverfield is what would 9-11 look like if you were on Ground Zero. It's it's a really real fear that we have of terrorism and monsters and aliens and whatever like fictional or non-fictional things. But now that we live in these built-up cities, like what does that look like? And it's that's why it's so scary. I'm talking about 800 things right now, but... <laughs> The vantage point of that film is is very small. You, you're seeing it from a small group of people. Ten Cloverfield Lane, you're seeing one girl situation that has absolutely nothing to do with aliens. It just happens to be during, uh, or whatever Clover is, it just happens to be during the time of that invasion or that uh, attack. She's going through the craziest situation of her life. She gets out and, oh, fuck, it's crazier outside. Yeah. 
it'd be like if you if misery like in the end james Conn finally breaks out of the cabin and oh shit there was a zombie apocalypse this whole time yeah and there's seven billion people on this planet you think the day that something goes down like that there's not going to be a handful of people who are having that day and then an alien attack happens yeah. or then somebody blows up north america like that's gonna be that day for somebody oh yeah it's gonna be like oh one of those days like, i'm so glad today is over and then something <laughs> crazy happens so yeah i just i love those movies for that reason that you're seeing a, a tiny story with a grand scale happening in the in the background and i think that's that's probably true about a lot of found footage movies it's it's about the scale it's a very small film and you are following just these two people like with found footage movies you have basically zero scenes without your main characters on screen mm-hmm and they play out in so, sort of real time. So you yeah. you see the incident begin. You see the middle of it. You see the lull. You see the journey of it. Whereas major films, they can be over the span of weeks. But found footage is normally um, pretty tight. And Cloverfield does this amazing job of getting you invested in your characters. Like, just long enough that you almost forget that something crazy is about to happen. I mean, you go into the movie knowing that something is going to to terrorize New York. Something's going to rip the Statue of Liberty apart. But it's funny and it's engaging enough that after a little while, you're kind of just interested to see how the rest of this party yeah, goes. Yeah, like I come become a little bit obsessed with the like relationship melodrama that's you're happening. Like, oh throughout. shit! Are Rob and Ben's gonna get back together? Is he gonna go to Japan? What's yeah. Going on? And you want Hud and Marlena to get together? He's such a goof. T.J. Miller, this is probably one of his best roles. Uh, and he's not even on screen. Do you think he was actually there when they filmed a lot of this? I think so. You think so? I think he, he was filmed just standing... a lot of it. I don't think he actually held the camera. <laughs> I think he filmed, like, half of it. Some of the behind-the-scenes stuff I saw, we they talked about how great the cinematographer was and how he was had no problem falling down all the time. <laughs> I don't know if it was actually... I'm sure too... there was a lot okay. of it that was handheld. All right, all right, also because right. I read that he filmed half of half of it oh so there are facts <laughs> behind this got it i'm arguing for no reason <laughs> i'm sure he was like holding the camera but not necessarily the cinematographer of the scenes i guess in shots where they need the camera to go to a specific place the the, the real pros take over but for the most part it's hey uh you know this is happening go for it because... yeah and like when they're moving through the hallway and stuff i'm sure that's just him holding the camera yeah because you want it to be really off the cuff. You want somebody who's not thinking about where the camera's going in a yeah. moment where you're panicking. Like, if you're being attacked or you're running away from something, chances are you're going to shoot your feet and the ground more than you're going to shoot behind you where the monster's coming, where it looks great. Well, and to be honest, we're picturing it like he's literally holding the camera handheld, but I'm sure they rigged him with, like, a chest um, holster that had the camera Good stuck point. to it, and then somebody was operating the camera manually to make sure the lens was focusing in the right spot. So... Him operating the camera just means he wore the camera maybe on his person. <laughs> That's like saying all those shots where the camera's strapped to a person, like in Requiem for a Dream. Like, oh yeah, no, of course, that, that Marlon Wayne's great cinematographer in that scene where he's running away from the cops. But yeah, so let's get through the story. So there's all that uh, relationship drama at the top. Our lead character, Rob, he is going to Japan. He's got a new... Uh, vice executive position. He's got some big job in Japan. Yes. In, and <laughs> in a very central company to this fucking universe. Yeah. But that you would only know if you did all the weird ARG stuff before the film Ugh. landed. Um, but in a really cool, uh, very smart 
Very smartly done. Yeah, I'm going to say that. Okay. Um, <laughs> they they set up his relationship with one of the other leads, Beth, through the camera they're actually using. So HUD's recording this party. He's trying to get tes- like goodbye testimonials from friends and family and get well wishes. But he's recording over old footage on Rob's camera mm-hmm. that he took about a month previous of him and his BFF, Beth, when their relationship went from friend to... Not so friend. Um, <laughs> and they slept together. Did you hear that Robin Beth slept together? <laughs> I love how he tries to find new ways of saying that throughout the party. Like, hey, did you know that Robin Beth slept together? Hey, did you know that they had sex together? Hey, <laughs> like. Frequently throughout the movie, the camera will cut back or jitter back to this old footage mm-hmm. of Robin Beth spending this one, like, perfect day where they are kind of an item. They go to Coney Island, they ride on the Ferris wheel, and they talk about his future the the job that might happen yeah but when we flash forward to the party which is actually the first main scene of the movie beth shows up with another guy oh snap and rob can't deal no he says one of the worst like cruelest things to her when she's leaving she's there with her boyfriend and she says good luck in japan and uh he calls back to her boyfriend or her her date good luck tonight travis like what a dick move. Yeah. Such a dick move. But you're right. The the juxtaposition, I guess you could say, of the two storylines that we're seeing with Rob and Beth are essentially the best day that they've ever had and the worst day of their lives. Yeah, and with some found footage films that are trying to cram all that kind of stuff in a film, there's no natural way of doing that. It feels forced, especially because at the top of this film, it's treated like it's evidence. Mm-hmm. This film footage was found in the area formerly known as Central Park. Right. So why would that footage be in there? And also, who's conveniently edited? it into these integral moments of the film but because it is a jittery recording over that footage it's kind of sad and amazing that it's appearing when it does they're recording over his best day ever yeah um they die and <laughs> like it's just awful and great and wonderful well that's another brilliant thing about this movie it's it's how we cut back to the those older moments of footage or how we cut back to that older footage. It's when T.J. Miller is rewinding the camera and he's trying to show people what he's recorded or if he's putting the camera down. He doesn't know that he's he's stopping recording. He's pressing play. He's fast-forwarding. It's, it's, it's all by accident. So it's only when there are moments where people are actually playing with the camera that that happens. It's not just, oh, this would be a nice time to cut to this. Mm-hmm. It's, it's actually worked into the story and it, it's brilliant. Because, yeah, with found footage, you, you walk away sometimes going, this is clearly edited. And I'm supposed to be given evidence, especially in a movie like this, where it has the U.S. government stamp at the beginning of it. It should be unedited, as though we just pressed play and we watched whatever was sitting on that camcorder. Mm. And I really feel like we get that in this movie, despite the fact that it's one of a hundred movies that I've seen try to do it and fail. And what is great about that is 15 minutes in the movie, you are already in the thick of this monster attack. But it has played out in quote-unquote real time. So when they first run into the army, when they first run into the police, everybody knows the same amount of information. They pop into a convenience store, they're standing with looters watching a TV screen, trying to get information about this monster that they've seen walk by them. Nobody knows anything. And it feels so realistic because you would run before you had all the information. Because what do you... Like, there's no safe place. You don't even know where the monster's headed. You don't know where the army's shooting. The army doesn't know what it is. Yeah, they have no fucking idea. Like, we we don't know what it is. All we know is that it's winning. 
Oh, so great. <laughs> and that's terrifying. But you would run first and figure out once you're safe, like what the fuck was that and how close were we to it? Because I don't want to know that it's still right behind me if I'm running away. Like I would rather just keep running in the right direction and then like have a picnic and talk about it later. <laughs> I'm sorry, the fact that we end in Central Park, something about saying that we'd have a picnic is <laughs> too funny to me. But there's not a lot to this movie, right? Like, Rob and Beth are going to get together. Rob, the, the boy meets girl. Boy loses girl. Monster puts a wedge between boy and girl. <laughs> and then boy fights his way back to girl. Like, that's that's the movie. Like, that's all it is. Yeah, so the party gets broken up by a earthquake-type situation. The entire building rattles. Partygoers go up to the roof to see what's happened. They hear on the TV that an oil tanker has capsized. But then when they get on the roof, uh, there's, like, a comet-like explosion. And fiery balls are being hurled at the building so everybody runs out i think the building definitely gets hit yeah definitely um and then everybody kind of reconvenes sort of on the ground but it is chaos so we've lost most of the party we have just a handful of people left so we have rob um hudson who's holding the camera lily and jason lily is engaged to jason jason is rob's brother mm-hmm. marlena is somewhere around there who's just a Casual acquaintance who's come to the party. Yeah, I think and... she came to say hi to, to Lily, right? Yeah. Yeah. But so while they're trying to regroup down there, you definitely see some something strange happening in the distance. An arm maybe, a roar maybe, a building collapsing, and a shit ton of smoke and debris. Yeah, New York City is probably the perfect place to do this type of movie. A found footage movie with a monster that you're trying to hide throughout most of the movie. Well, and especially if you're trying to scare North American audiences. Why is that? Because it's close to home. It's a soft spot for us. We're all kind of protective over New York after what happened to it. Okay, sure. So that's a way to, like, to get our attention immediately. Like, we see those buildings fall, and there's some kind of emotional connection to it. Yeah, that's something that's almost lost in this movie now. When it came out, this was still pretty recent after the 9-11 attacks, and there are shots in it that look just like the news. Like, when you are watching a, like, corridor of dust just People cover walking city. through and ash just falling from yeah. the sky. That's not something that you would predict it would look like, but it did. Exactly. It's like it's snowing ashes. Yeah, and to, to have a bunch of partygoers in, living in Manhattan seeing an explosion, it's like, oh shit, we're going through this again. Like, there's... We know exactly what this is like, and we know how bad it can get. So, like, there is a level of fear that this movie is tapping into, at least when it came out, or that, that doesn't resonate as much as it does today, but it's not like it's lost on anybody. I think we're all still pretty familiar with how yeah. awful that is. What I was getting at, though, just having a, a downtown core is that your monster can hide behind skyscrapers, is what I meant. So mm-hmm. you only get peaks and images of it. You only get an arm. In a larger scale movie, you need to show that monster faster. You have to have a wide shot of it. You need to know exactly what it looks like by at least the, the halfway through the movie. Almost at no point do we really get a good look at it until the end. Mm-hmm. And we don't feel like we're cheated because HUD, T.J. Miller, is actually trying to get video footage of it. But he can't because it's obscured by explosions and buildings that it's it's currently toppling over. Yeah, I'm not a big monster movie fan. And this is one of my favorite movies of all time. Just yeah. simply for that reason, because it... I'm like, it's so real how they captured the monster. But like, that's <laughs> absurd. Um, you see an arm of a monster that's 50 feet in the air... You don't keep filming the monster. You start fucking running. Like, I don't want to see more than that arm. That arm is enough. (laughs) (laughs) There are little touches in this movie that that really look like 
real footage. There's a moment where they're going down an alleyway and just some guy who doesn't know English is only speaking Russian just runs up to TJ Miller and is trying to either warn him or say something to him, but he can't understand what he's saying and eventually he just gets to say, like, I'm sorry, man, I don't know what you're saying, I gotta go. But there's just something about that chaos, about how you're you're filming something and it doesn't go well because somebody gets in the shot and somebody's bugging you. It just, it feels real. Yeah, there's a scene really early on when they're just starting to, like, regroup and figure out what they're gonna do, and they walk past a bistro and all of the tables outside have full and half-eaten meals on them. Uh, and there's not a single person there. And it's covered in dust. And it's just like, it's crazy. Yeah. Later on in the film, near the end, they're walking through an empty intersection. And a horse and carriage, completely empty, uh, trots <laughs> by. And it's so haunting. Right? That doesn't belong in a monster movie. That belongs no. in a ghost movie. That belongs in the Haunted Mansion. Yeah. It's so haunting. It's yeah. so spooky. And would... of course that would exist around Central Park. Yeah, exactly. And it's hard to tell a horse, hey man, follow me. We're going this way. We're going to run for cover. I mean, they could have at least untied the horse, but maybe they, like the horse trotter died. Horse trotter. <laughs> carriage. Yeah, what is his carriage? The carriageman. The carriager. <laughs> carriager. <laughs> what if it's just pilot? Like, what if it's... <laughs> horse if... pilot. <laughs> Oh, that's a way to introduce yourself. Hi, my name is Ted Freeman. I'm a horse pilot. Like, that, is, that sounds so great. So they, the gang makes the plan to head to the Brooklyn Bridge to try to get off the island. Yeah, I wouldn't go on that bridge. Number Like, rule number one. Well, <laughs> there, there are no rules. What you have? You're on an island. I'm not crossing a bridge. There's no... Okay, I just... Uh, okay, you know, like, that scene in Stand By Me where they say, oh, we gotta just walk across these train tracks. No big deal. What the fuck do you do if you run into danger halfway across? You're fucked. Exactly! That's why I'm not going across that bridge! But... Manhattan is fucked, so you're you're damned if you do and you're I, damned if you don't. I get it. It's a tiny island. You need to cross a bridge to get off of it. But I would probably just go into the subway tunnel or something like they do. Of course, that also is scary. I <laughs> I would just hide. Like I I got no other no other option. I wouldn't yeah. cross that bridge. And not even for the sheer fact that that a tail could come up and smack that bridge and we'd all die. Uh, Which happens. Yeah, I mean it's <laughs> tragically to Jason, his brother. But um. I would be worried about getting trampled. Because when people get scared, they act fucking crazy, and if you fall down, nobody's gonna pick you up. That's just what it comes down to. Yeah. Every time you hear about riots, and the amount of people that die at riots... They at get least, squished. Yeah, at least half of them are from being squished. Ugh. Yeah, that, that bridge scene is pretty scary just based on how crowded it is. Yeah. Which makes me think that I have absolutely no strategy if something like that went down. At least we're not on an island. I don't think anybody has a strategy. No. Yeah. I would go to a hospital. That's really my it. That's not a bad idea. Hospital or a school somewhere with, um, that's not a high rise and not next to a high rise and, um, has a first aid kit. So just first aid kits. That's all you need. Well, and food. Okay. First aid kits and food. Yeah. I was going to say library, but no, can't eat the books. You're like books. Yeah. Uh, Plenty of, plenty (laughs) of books on how to grow vegetables once everything's passed. You're just reading like how to deal with a monster attack. (laughs) Not even. It's just how to deal with anxiety. (laughs) So you think you're going to be eaten. Uh, So the bridge doesn't work, and the team then decides to go in the subway tunnels. Well, see, at this point, he gets a phone call from Beth, and she's calling him for help. Right. And that's that's what sort of separates the group from Jason, and that's why he ends up getting pushed ahead, and unfortunately, he's he's the one that dies on the bridge while everybody else gets off and, like, just... (gasps) 
me or safe. That's the only part of the movie that I don't find completely believable because it seems like the uh, Clover Monster really likes the spotlight and really wants to be on this movie. <laughs> because he like leaves the downtown core of Manhattan, goes to the... Brooklyn, is it called the Brooklyn River? What do you... I, I think the they're Brooklyn cross, Bridge. I think they're crossing the Brooklyn Bridge. Well, it's the Brooklyn Bridge. Whatever. He's in that body of water. Yeah. And then tail smash. And then he goes back to town. Well, I was watching it this time, actually, when HUD's sort of looking back at how many people are on the bridge and the city skyline. You can kind of see this, this fiery path of destruction that leads to the water. And I, I guess maybe they were assuming it came out of the water, but obviously it hadn't gone back in. Mm-hmm. So I'm cool with it. But then he goes back to the city, and then he doesn't go back in the water at all. Like, well, I think he got shot at, and he was like, whoa, gonna dip for a minute. <laughs> like, this is rough. Yeah. I like Clover. Anyways. <laughs> so they go into the sewer. They're trying to get to, yeah, to Beth's apartment building. Yep. Uh, while in the sewer, they get attacked by a bunch of parasitic crab things that have oh. fallen off Clover's body <laughs> and are fast evil little things. Yeah, they're like those little monsters and starship troopers. Ugh. They're like giant spider crab aliens. Yeah, they're teeth with feet. (laughs) That's all they are. (laughs) Like, you know those little, like, chattering teeth that you can put on the ground and then they'll waddle around? It's like that, if it'll also make you blow up after being bitten by it. So Marlena gets (laughs) bitten by one, and they... They luckily are able to to fight off most of them. There's probably about eight of them. Uh, And then they climb back up and they're in like a shopping mall, like an underground shopping mall. I think they come up into the mall, yeah. And uh, All subways lead to a mall. Exactly. And they're at like a a makeshift army base that's been set up, like an army camp, medical camp. Yeah. Hundreds and hundreds of people just dealing with various wounds from... From bricks falling on them to animals, animals? Aliens biting their faces. This is kind of where we get a little bit of exposition. In, honestly, in a regular movie, this is where we would get all of the yeah, exposition. Yeah, like they would just download yeah. you. Oh, we got some images from a satellite navigation system two weeks ago. Uh, you're a civilian, but I'm going to tell you everything I know, just, you know, for, in case we're in a movie or something. Uh, <laughs> it appears oh, I see that, you have a camera. <laughs> yeah, you must be an authority in the subject. I, I believe what, earlier in the movie you said that people will want to see this. Let me fill you in. <laughs> no, like, they fucking know nothing. Like, the fact that this guy's willing to talk to them one, is astounding, but two, he, he doesn't know a goddamn thing, so he doesn't think that he's doing anything wrong by saying, like, we don't know where it came from, it's currently attacking the city, we're trying to evacuate the city. If you could get over here where the helicopters are, that'd be really great for us. Uh, and while he's talking to them, something's happening to Marlena, her eyes are bleeding, Yeah, she gets rushed into another room that's basically just a makeshift curtain, mm. and kind of explodes. <laughs> kind of. Definitely explodes. Yeah. <laughs> so shocking. So vile. (laughs) (laughs) The terror came from within. Uh, But it's such a surprise. And in true Cloverfield fashion, you see so little of it that... You have no time to process it. They're leaving and you're like, wait, did she die? Yeah. (laughs) There's there's so much tragedy in this movie that... That people don't have time to address. They can't because they're never safe. Yeah. The, they have a little cry in the subway they call Rob's mom. His mom calls, oh. yeah. And he's got to tell his mom that his brother's dead. That's fucked up. And he's got to tell her with his brother's fiance right beside her. And, like, she didn't have any time to sort of deal with that either. She sees that he gets crushed by some tail. They all narrowly avoid death by falling into the river. And now it's just like, well, what the fuck do I do now? I guess I'll help this guy go find Beth. Oh, and then, like, right before Marlena dies, she calls out for HUD because she's not feeling well. 
you know, for the longest time, I just thought she said uh, guys or something. Like, she was just getting their attention. But because we've become obsessed with watching movies with captions on. It's uh, great. Yeah. It's so great. It's okay, except for the fact that you stop watching the movie and you just start reading the captions 100% it's of the really time. It's really good, though, to watch movies that you've watched a thousand times with captions. Because yeah. you're like, I've been wrong. <laughs> <laughs> this whole time. Yeah. But he has spent the entire movie, and before the movie's even started, he's been pining over this girl, and she just doesn't give a shit about him because he's kind of annoying, and he <laughs> won't stop. He won't leave her alone. But now that they've finally gone through some shit and they've defended each other, uh, she's maybe not necessarily coming around. That seems like the wrong thing to say, but they are... This is what would have bonded them together in, in a different story. Hmm. Right? Exactly. It is sad. (laughs) This movie's great. They finally get to Beth's building. Yeah. And it is semi-toppled over. It is leaning against another building. So they figure their best course of action is to climb up to the top (laughs) of the other building that's straight, (laughs) drop down to the top of the tilty building, and then climb down to the 37th floor where Beth lives. Oh, my God. And the... Special effects in that are great. They do a really good job of the tilty hallways. And I know it's super simple to do. Not simple, but it's a very simple trick, filmmaking trick to do that. Yeah. But it looks really great. Mm-hmm. And they get to Best Building. She is impaled by rebar. Yeah. That rebar is all that stopped her from falling out the window. Seems like she was pretty close to just falling 37 stories to her death. Which probably would happen to Travis, I would assume. Oh, yeah. Unless she kicked Travis out. Oh, shit. I wonder what happened to Travis. Travis probably just went home. Travis was probably like, there's some vibes happening here. I think, um... <laughs> I'm over these vibes. <laughs> I think I'm gonna go. By the way, the Statue of Liberty just blew up, so I'm gonna just call my mom, I guess? I don't know. <laughs> That's one thing that I didn't see a lot of. There wasn't a lot of calling families. I guess you didn't really have time. So they lift Beth off the rebar in another great scene. They put the camera down, and of course it's obscured. But you don't need to see it to, to cringe watching them lift her off the rebar. Yeah. I don't know that that's the right thing to do. In fact, I'm fairly certain it's the wrong thing to do. I don't think they have much of an option. It's not like they can call 911 and get the yeah, ambulance up there. Yeah, that's a good point. I, oh, yeah, because at this point, they're just trying to get to the extraction point. Yeah, and I don't think she... Like, she's obviously not impaled in any internal organs because she would be dead by now. It's been at least an hour or so. That's not true, because, if it, like, the, isn't it, like, the thing that's impaling in you is kind of, like, what's stopping it's blood up flow? High. Is it? Well, if it's just, like, a collarbone, she can she Yeah, can like, it was pretty high. Off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> so they get to is is the pickup point like right at Central Park, mm-hmm. and that's basically mm. near her apartment, isn't it? Yeah, I don't know where it is. I think it's near Central Park. Yeah, this movie really is bookended by Central Park. It starts with him looking at her apartment, filming Central Park, like six a.m. It's already a great day. Blah blah blah. blah. All these people are so rich. Every fucking one of them! <laughs> Except HUD. I'm gonna assume HUD is just like a college friend who just like happened to find the rich kids. Cause this guy is, is, how fucking old are they, right? Like he's 20 I would say they're late 20s, early 30s maybe? Yeah. Late 20s. Majority of them are single and or engaged. Let's just say 28. Let's just throw it out there. 28. Yeah. He's becoming vice president of something and is being transferred to Japan? I know. And even like, I have no fucking idea what Beth does, but I guarantee her apartment costs $4,000 a month. Oh, it probably costs $10,000 a month. Jesus. She had like space on either side of her bed. <laughs> I do remember watching a video once of a guy who had an $800 apartment in Manhattan that only had space for a bed. And it was I say, like a trundle bed, and you're like, okay. Yeah, he had to close the door in order to fold down his bed, which took up the entire 
space. Key thing there, there's no bathroom in that apartment. Ew. Can you imagine paying $800 and not having a bathroom? And he was like, yeah, I love it. (laughs) There's probably like a community, community? Communal Communal. bathroom. (laughs) Tangents aside, uh, they they, they finally get to their helicopters. They get divvied up a little bit. Lily, uh, really just Lily, and some other strangers go off in one military helicopter. HUD, Beth, and Rob are in another. He's filming it. Everything looks like it's going okay, but oh, shit! Clover's coming down the street, uh, swatting at the helicopters like flies. Well, the military, like, shoots basically shoots him down. He's almost dead, I think. And then, mm-hmm. like, he reaches an arm out. That's right. They bomb the shit out of yeah, him. Yeah, and smacks the helicopter out of the air. In true slasher style, right? Like, they always come back for one final scare. <laughs> uh, knocks them both out of the air. Like, destroys Lily's helicopter. She's definitely dead. Did they destroy it? I thought that one got away. Oh, no. No, oh. he basically, like, uppercutted that one like it was, a, like, a... Are you sure? Like a fatality in Mortal Kombat. Oh. Like, she's toast. <laughs> She's I thought that one made back. it out, and I was like, at least one of them made it out alive. Nope. Well. Nope. <laughs> and then, like, they're like, oh, my God. Holy shit. What? It just, like, knocks the tail off their helicopter, and they, they spiral out, which always looks great. I don't care how many movies it's in. If your helicopter or your airplane's going down, I'm there. Like, I don't think I've seen a single movie with a helicopter where something bad doesn't happen to the helicopter, which makes me never want to get in a helicopter. It's like those scenes in a movie where two characters are driving and all of a sudden, like, we shift to position. You can see just the outside the window. window you're, like, you're like, you're no. getting T-boned. You're totally getting T-boned. <laughs> this is happening. And then when it doesn't happen, it just ruins your brain. Like, no, I've been conditioned to understand that death is approaching. <laughs> so we're in Central Park. Mm-hmm. Beautiful day. Otherwise, like, I mean, like, relatively sunny, a uh, little moist, but, you know, the dew's around. So it's just, it's the kind of day that you'd like to get up early and have a nice bagel. Uh, unfortunately, uh, tentacle monster. Tentacle? He doesn't have tentacles. He doesn't really have tentacles. I don't know how else to describe her. And I'm firm position Oh, on yeah. That. Clover is definitely a she. It's not up for debate, right? No. Is it just based on the name? Yes. Or is it because she has babies? <laughs> she does have babies. <laughs> That's not how I usually say that word. I just like mimicking Kim. You can't find them cute. They eat people and they kill Marlena. I know, but I like Clover. Her lungs are on her head, right? Is that... I think so. Yeah. Yeah. That seems like a safe spot. (laughs) Yeah. And also, like... You think that would be her weak point? They should just shoot a hole in the lung head. I mean, I'm I'm gonna gonna assume they shot... Tried to shoot holes everywhere. Yeah, I think so. They, They had bazookas. I saw one guy with a bayonet. Yeah, they had, like, tanks and stuff, like... If, if they could kill Clover, they would have killed Clover. Yeah. But they didn't. Because Clover's so great. Yeah, and Clover picks up T.J. Miller, who's still holding that camera. He duct taped that camera to his hand. That's actually not a terrible idea, I think he was in shock at that point. You survive a crash, there's a huge, giant monster. Like, what do you do? Yeah. You just stand there like an idiot. But, I, okay, so you're in a helicopter. Helicopter crashes. You're still holding your camera. That's crazy. I, didn't he pick it up? Did he? I think so. All right. Because there's a really great scene, too, after Clover chomps HUD yeah. and drops him on the ground where the camera is trying to focus and it's focusing oh, on the grass so and then HUD's dead face and then the grass and then dead HUD face and then the grass. <laughs> dead HUD face. Yeah, and that's where, um, that's where Rob picks up the camera and they run into the tunnel in Central Park and they're, they're trying to hide. We, we already know that they are going to bomb the shit out of New York. Does Beth not know this yet, though? I don't think she knows it yet. <laughs> yeah, how do you fill her in? Like, we got to go. Well, maybe. 
it's it really it's 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 like one piece of dialogue, right? We got to go, Beth. They're well, gonna bomb the city. She's either just confused then because she's like, I want to go, like we need to go, and and Rob doesn't oh. want to run anymore because he knows that was the last helicopter, that was their last chance. Yeah. The bridge is gone. Yeah, they have to. They're basically just spending their last thirty seconds together before yeah. their world is blown up. Yeah, and that's why they say like, "My name's Rob." If you're seeing this, blah blah blah. And he makes her do the same thing in the camera, and then oh. uh, bomb explodes, and there's a bunch of rubble, and and they die saying, "I love you." Yeah, mm. so sad. And then we cut to Coney Island, the best day ever. And I want to talk about this scene for at least another hour, so sit down, guys. <laughs> um, <laughs> Give me some theories, Kim. What do you got? Because if you... I'm sure by now you've seen it. The internet loves talking about it. I definitely did not see it in the theater. I didn't see it in the theater either. I, I don't even know if like we saw it or if somebody had to show it to us. But I feel like it was after the 12th time that we watched the movie that you can see something when they're at Coney Island falling out of the sky into the water behind them. Yeah. Let's get into it. Oh, they just think it's a baby. You think it's a baby? I think... Well... I have some information for you. Okay. About the creature design. Can I just say I don't trust J.J. Abrams anymore to actually have a definitive this is what's <laughs> what? Because, like... He's like, Clover is everything. <laughs> well, it's... Yeah, Clover is everything. It's whatever the you world want is everything. To be. This is a Cloverfield movie. Like, he is like Oprah Winfrey standing in front of an audience going, you get a Cloverfield movie, and you get a Cloverfield movie, but then he takes one away, and then you get a Cloverfield <laughs> movie. I, I'm okay with it. Yeah. Uh, in the event that... One more good Cloverfield movie comes out of the next ten Cloverfield movies. I'm okay with that. Yeah, the first two were fucking solid. Like so who, good. Who cares? I've if never the had third one was a little weak. Yeah, like I've never had as high expectations for Cloverfield Paradox as I've ever had for a movie before. Like, and maybe that's why we were all let down because we were expecting it to be at that level. Mm-hmm. But so good. What I was going to say. Yep. Uh, Creature was designed by Neville Page. Okay. Who based. Most, if not all, of the design off, like, real anatomy of different, um, like, organs and stuff. So, like, cool. everything had, like, a, a purpose and reasoning. And uh, apparently a lot of his designs didn't actually make it into the film just based on how they filmed the creature. Okay. But I, I pulled a really good quote that, like, I guess I've kind of always thought, but never kind of put into those exact words. Um, Clover is an immature creature suffering from separation anxiety. Separation anxiety. From his mama. Okay. So it's just like, you know, um, like when an animal acts out, like rages because yeah. it's it's in a new place and it doesn't know what to do. He's basically just like freaking out. He's mm-hmm. just having a little freak out because yeah. this is his first time alone. Yeah, I've never... Okay, well that begs the question, where's mom? Cloverfield 3. 2018. Four. Cloverfield Summer. 4. Clo- oh. <laughs> Cloverfield, oh. <laughs> We're just retconning that one. <laughs> I told you, I'm just pretending it didn't happen. Yeah, I've never really seen it as um, as an intentional evil that was like awoke and decided like fuck New York. Well, and he's treated more like an animal and less like a um, like a vindictive creature. Like, yeah, I don't think he's got intentions. Yeah, I think he's just in the like. If you put him down in a sanctuary, I'm sure you would just trundle around and eat whatever he can eat. Yeah, picking he's up so trees god- and shit. Yeah, he's so goddamn big that like whatever he touches is gonna break. And he tries to hide in the water, but they find him there too, and they shoot at him. Like he's got no to hide he's so goddamn big she's got nowhere to hide she's so goddamn big in watching cloverfield 2 before seeing cloverfield 3 in that alternate dimension thing i was under the impression after the second one i was under the impression that clover is a um like what you would consider like a horse 
or a whale of this alien race. Okay. Because in Cloverfield 2, the alien race is definitely sophisticated. They have alien ships. They yeah. have gas. Um, they have <laughs> more runny monsters. But there's definitely a, um intelligence about the race. I assume Clover is like them dropping like a cyclops on us. Okay. You know what I mean? Like, they're, yeah. they're like, this dumb thing's gonna fuck shit up. Like, yeah. I don't... I think that's one of their, like, less smart creatures on that planet. Yeah. Like, the equivalent of their horse. But he's huge. Hmm. <laughs> Let's drop a horse and see what happens. Can you imagine if that was our plan? Like, we want to find out whether or not Mars is inhabitable. Uh, we've got this great rocket from Elon Musk. And also, uh, Elon, you have a great idea? Yes, we're gonna drop horses. I think it will be perfect. We're gonna see, <laughs> you know, like... And think of the photos, right? Like... <laughs> Majestic riding on the, the right. dark side of the moon. <laughs> right, Werner Herzog's there filming the documentary. Like, it is, of course, nature in its purest form. The horse in the helmet. <laughs> Uninhibited. <laughs> the horse in the helmet. I've never looked at Clover as an alien. I've always just thought it was a monster. Like, to me... It, it was, falls from the sky! I don't think that that's Clover! What do you think it is? I think that the Japanese company that he was going to work for was currently in bed with another company in America. Now, I don't know if you know this, but it's definitely some sort of warfare in space. They shot down their own satellite, which they thought was espionage, that was looking at a Japanese thing, and then this, this Japanese and or American satellite, a little unclear, because, I mean, like, the documents have not been released yet, fell into the water, undisturbed. Sorry, yes. D disturbed Clover and Mom, I guess. Uh, they, they they awoke oh, and went, where just, am I? Okay. Because here's the thing. You really think that tiny thing that fell in the water in a month grew into, like, the size of the Empire State Building? Well, I thought it was, like, one of those, like, grow a... Oh my god! Grow a zombie? And, and you just add water? Oh my god. So if it had gone into a pool, we could have had a tiny little Clover yeah, that Yeah, like a goldfish. Home. Like, if he had just landed in, like, uh, SeaWorld, it would have, like, this little clover. That sounds great. And like you sit in the parasite zone and you die. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, after Cloverfield 2, oh. I kind of had no idea what was going on. I was just like, yeah. I like these movies. <laughs> yeah, no, it, 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 it's really strange how, how different the monsters are. But that's why I was thinking is like Earth. If aliens came to Earth and humans were no longer here, but there were horses here. And you know what I mean? Like yep. there's such a variety of animals on our carbon-based planet. Another yeah. type of planet isn't just going to have one species on it. No, of course. It's going to have a whole bunch of species of varying intelligence. Yeah. And I just assume, yeah, Clover is one of the non-smart beasts that they have on their planet. That's interesting. It's kind of like when we send dogs and monkeys into space. They're like, you, you guys check it Can out Can you first. imagine <laughs> if they were doing our peacekeeping missions? <laughs> <laughs> Everything would be fine. <laughs> be like, Paw? <laughs> <laughs> Um, <laughs> okay, so we've we talked about Clover way too long. Yeah, I mean, like, we haven't talked at all about any of the um, the conspiracy theories and the background stories and the stuff that doesn't exist. I kind of hinted at that a little bit. I actually understand none of it. Um, it's yeah, we all... didn't get into that stuff. We just, like, discovered Clover the same way everybody else did. Yeah. Through... We saw the trailer, I think, ahead of Beowulf, and we were like, what the fuck is this? Something and then like we that, saw yeah. it, and then we were like, this is great. That's yeah, it. like the the whole speculative world. I, I find fascinating that there is one, and that they've they've put so much work into it. It's it's its own immersive game, mm -hmm. but um, I have not put all of myself into that uh, because it looks like a a pit that I will never climb out of. What is your rating on Cloverfield? It is no surprise that I I my Ebert rating on uh, Cloverfield is a strong four out of four. I am a solid four out of four. How many times have we seen this movie? 
Too many times. Right? But and it's never dipped. I've never been like, oh, you know what? It's not as good this time. And then 12 times later, oh, we're back. I like it again. It's always been incredible. We watched, the first time we watched this for the podcast, I was like, I didn't watch it good enough. And I, I made us watch, watch it, it again. <laughs> I didn't blink once. I don't know. Uh, such a good movie. So good. And it, it holds up so well. Mm-hmm. It is my favorite monster movie. One of my favorite found footage films. Just it, a solid movie. Yeah, all it's it's my favorite thing that J.J. Abrams has ever done. Even though he didn't direct this one, <laughs> but still. Yeah, it's crazy how much it belongs to him. But it was directed by Matt Reeves, and it was written by Drew Goddard, who did uh, Kevin in the Woods. Yeah, and Daredevil. Like Drew Drew Goddard's like a new J.J. Abrams. Basically, it's it's no surprise that they were working together. But yeah, J.J. Abrams is one of those producers where it, it's very much his film. Um, or at least you see his fingerprints all over it, like Steven Spielberg. I was going to say that, like Steven Spielberg. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, moving on. <laughs> Next up is The Host from 2006. Mr. Kim, formaldehyde, dirty formaldehyde. Pour him into the sink. still alive why didn't you contact the police or the military a human rights organization something Sitting at a 7 out of 10 on IMDb, a 93% on Rotten Tomatoes, 3.5 out of 4 Eberts, a 3.6 out of 5 on Letterboxd. So roughly the same as Cloverfield. Uh, better than Cloverfield. My mistake. A little bit better than Cloverfield. I think I might have only heard the Letterboxd. I think I was just in my eye, my, my mind just running through a, a gag reel of, of great clips from Cloverfield. <laughs> We're going to have a hard time talking about this name-wise, so we're going to apologize in advance that we are really bad with South Korean names. Sure. And we're going to butcher some names today. Yeah, I was just like, oh, yeah, Park, right? Like, that's the girl's name? No, that is their last name. Well, we that can is say the Park family. family. We can Boom. say that. Yeah. Nailed it. Yep. Okay. We're ready. <laughs> we yep. got this. <laughs> I got the patriarch, and I have the, uh, the athletic sister. And <laughs> How do you say the daughter's name? Hyung... Hyun Seo Han? Can you Hyun-so? remember? I'm not sure. Uh, it's been... A few days since we've seen the movie, mm-hmm. and I've already forgotten. Oh, man, I hope we don't ruin this. Okay. Oh, whatever. It, it happens. What are you going to do? I, I, butcher, uh, I butcher names from every country, including my own. So The Host, also a monster movie. Mm-hmm. Very different, but also has a lot of similarities. Again, a movie that we hadn't rewatched in a long time. Yeah, we were... This has always been on our list to cover on the podcast because it blew us away the first time we saw it. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I've revisited this since the first or second time that I've seen it. Yeah. Uh, it's been on Netflix, so I keep seeing it. I'm like, we got to do that on the podcast. we got to do that on the podcast. Isn't that the worst? How you, you, you know you want to watch a movie, but you, just, you might as well wait because you, you'll find something to pair with it, right? Exactly. And I got to say, uh, having not seen this in years... We did a great job pairing, at least based on monsters. Mm-hmm. I think, like any good creature feature, your monsters should be sympathetic in some way. Whether it's because um, it's a creature who's been torn from its own land and brought to America, and you know all it wants is love, or if it's just a 
an animal that we don't understand and we look and at it's as big and evil. scary yeah yeah exactly like it's it's just living its own life it's just living its best self it's just trying to live its best life and we get in the way uh, unfortunately yeah and it's so funny because watching this i think the message of that may have been a little lost in this movie because the director boon joon ho went on to make okja which is literally the same movie but with an adorable pig that people are trying to eat but yeah, it's like a more zen approach to a monster movie where it's just like, yeah, we made this delicious pig, but oh, he's got emotions and feelings and we can't eat him. You're like, oh, it's a person too. But when you watch the host, the monster in this isn't evil off the bat. He's a little scary. He's definitely scary, especially when we first see him in that picnic scene and it is the probably the best monster terrorizing scene. It's just on a picnic. It's so fast. He's jumping around. He's definitely eating a couple people. <laughs> mm-hmm. But there's not a lot of violence in that scene. He's knocking people You're over. Right. Uh, at one point, he's in a trailer, and there's definitely like blood dripping out. But it's not like a massacre. No. He's not there to just chew off heads and stuff. And I think that's completely intentional, right? Yeah, because he picks a few people, and he swallows them. But then he regurgitates them, and using his tail drags them under the water into the sewers. Yeah. So I don't think his initial response is to kill people. Like, I think he's... I don't know what he's doing, but I think at first, like, there's nothing vindictive about him. He's just trying to, I don't know, like, get... I don't know. (laughs) I wanted to... Like, at first I was like, is he getting people to, like, to use them as hosts? Is he looking for good specimens to, like, maybe birth his children? Like, he's going to implant them with something? Because the host, you think of something like that. But, yeah. um, and it isn't until people start shooting at him and attacking him does he start smashing them into the ground. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Every time he puts somebody else into the sewer and they end up being dead, there's almost, like, a disappointment about it. Like, he, he pushes them around and they're dead. Yeah. And it's he he lays them down so gently in the sewer and it's so there's something so gentle about it. Like he's he's trying to like be protective, but he's just too big and too strong and they all seem to be dying after he regurgitates them. Okay. I'm gonna put this in some perspective, at least how I see it. Yeah. When I go to the grocery store and I wanna buy a nice juicy red tomato, I take extra special care putting it in my bag bringing it home, putting it in the fridge, saving it for later. (laughs) Yeah. You think they're just tomatoes? Well, I also think that tomatoes taste best when they're fresh and not bruised. Um, So, kind of, yeah. I mean, if he could, ideally, if he could eat everybody alive, he probably would. So you think he's more like a hamster, like he's putting stuff in his cheeks to go, like, (laughs) yes. Oh. And he's going to bury those chestnuts for later? We've switched to squirrels now. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, It's the same analogy. That's kind of what I think. Yeah, because um, <laughs> he definitely eats them all. Every single one. But of I them. think waste not, want not. Like, they're all dead. And then I think he learns to hate humanity at some point between him uh, discovering that there are alive children in his lair and putting them down gentle because... Hyun So's family is coming after her, and they're real rough on that creature. Everybody's oh, yeah. real rough on that creature. He gets shot at, he gets smacked with things. Um, Burned. Yeah, and so I think he learns that humanity no good, and like I can't live amicably with them. Yeah. So at that point, he realizes that those little ones that are living in his lair are only going to become big ones and try to hurt him, and so he's got to kill them before they kill him. That's really interesting. I never... Well, it's not that I never, but the more I watch this movie, and I guess I'm just trying to, like, reinforce my look at it. Yeah, I I, I don't see it as much as a, like, oh, we will never coexist together. But you're right. Like, there is is definitely 
there's something about the monster that just he doesn't come across evil at the beginning. Yeah. And it's weird because everybody's running and screaming and he's racing through this area. I don't know. So many people make it out with their lives. There, there aren't a lot of moments in the movie where he's tender with them and you can see, like, maybe the, the kids are shivering and he puts a blanket on them or something, right? Yeah. Like, there, there aren't any moments like that. But you're right. Like, when we see the monster looking at the kids um, or even just, like, looking at the dead bodies and playing with them to see if they're still alive, there are gears turning. We see that he has thought and there are there's definitely an intention to what he's doing. But I do think at the end of the day, he's just an animal who's trying to eat. And you know, honestly, this isn't his fault. He didn't ask to be born. Well, and there's no more fish in the lake because they've polluted it. And he's it's... the only thing that can survive in it. So he's got no food in there. Right? This movie's so goddamn good. Like, we open up with a American soldier uh, who's been stationed in South Korea who's forcing somebody to just pour gallons and gallons of chemicals into the into the Han River. Uh, and he doesn't want to do it. And this guy basically, like, forces him to do it. You know, over the next few minutes, we, we kind of see its evolution. You know, a few years later, we see that the creature is born, that some fishers find it, and it's, it's small enough to fit inside, like, a little teacup. But several years later, it has grown to the point where it can hang upside down under the bridge and can swallow people whole. <laughs> but you're right, I think, yeah, it's polluted. That's probably why he's not sleeping in the water. He's hung up from the bridge. He's hung upside down underneath the bridge, and there's nothing to eat anymore. God damn, if they didn't pollute that thing, everybody would be fine. How he, big would he have gone? He could have been the Loch Ness Monster of South Korea. Yeah. Yeah. You <laughs> could have called him, like, like Nessie, or you could have a cute name. Yeah, he, does, he doesn't get a name in this. No, he's just a monster. What do you think the host means? What do you think the title of the host means? Okay, so um, throughout the movie, they're they're hunting down the Park family and anybody else that was close to the monster because they're trying to say that there's some sort of infection. And that's really just because they're afraid of the monster, they have no idea what it's like, and they're just trying to learn as much about it as they can. And by doing that, they try and instill a fear in the public. And that keeps everybody away from the river also. Right? <laughs> and and that's that's the infection that's being spread. The The monster isn't necessarily giving anybody this plague it's not spreading any sort of disease the people that come in contact with it aren't the hosts of some weird mutation it's just fear that's being spread like that's the infection we are the hosts for fear like the parasite that lives in all of us the dark thing that is taking over is that fear mm -hmm. and that's what they're using as a tool i think that's where the idea of the host comes from I agree. Yeah, because, like, you're, you're right. Like, if, if we didn't shoot at this thing, if we didn't kill it, if we didn't make its entire way of living impossible, it could have just been another strange animal. It could have been a completely new species. Uh, but instead, you know, we, we forced it into to killing us and defending itself. And it just ultimately became a story about how terrible human beings are, I guess. Yeah, I and the crazy thing is that we haven't even talked about the family drama that happens throughout this film. Like, at its heart, this film is like a Little Miss Sunshine type movie. Right. You've got this bumbling family of, not misfits, but they're all completely different. You have the grandpa or the father who's run this little snack shack to basically provide for his children. Yeah. And he has his oh, adult yeah. children. One of them is a bronze medalist. She's an archer. The other one is, he's a college dropout, but he's educated. Did he drop out? Uh... I don't know if he dropped out, but he's definitely, like, um, stagnating as an adult. Yeah. But then the third one, he's kind of this misfit who's clumsy and bumbling, 
but his only achievement is his daughter. Yeah. And everybody in the family loves her so much. Yep. And when she gets kidnapped by this monster, they are all beside themselves. I and fucking love that. That scene made me cry. I'm totally going to admit. I totally bawled at that scene when oh, they were yeah. all crying. Because they're, they're so silly, but there's so much heart in that moment. And when they escape, and it's it's just this ragtag family who will stop at nothing to go and try to rescue this girl. Mm-hmm. Yeah, against all odds, they're going to fight their way through everyone to get to the monster to find out where she is. There is a moment at some point when they've escaped and there's sort of hole up in his little food cart and he's talking about um when an animal kills a person it's a it's the a human being's duty to hunt down and kill that animal uh and that's that's where like the rest of the movie kind of goes from there it's it's not necessarily like for a lot of them it, it's it's that they want to get they want to get their you know daughter and niece and granddaughter back but it's almost like, it's their duty to, to take it down and kill it. Yeah, it's like shooting a dog that bites a human. Yeah, exactly. Which I don't agree with. <laughs> but we'll move on. <laughs> you can't just newspaper wrap it? Like, no. <laughs> what if that's what they tried to do to the monster? <laughs> but with arrows and guns and stuff. No, I meant like with a real, like a big newspaper. Like, <laughs> Yeah, this movie is kind of strange. Because it makes us feel for everybody, including the monster. And then when we get to the end... And it is just a brutal fight where they're, they've got it cornered and they're doing everything they can to kind of make it suffer. Like, they're not torturing it intentionally, but at some point, it's like it stops trying to fight back and it just wants to escape, you know? But they, they have to kill it. Well, because they gas it with this weird... Uh, they're calling it Agent Yellow. Yeah. And so, like, everybody's being gassed and people are coughing was, and was bleeding that, from the ears. Yeah, and... was that specifically for the monster, though? Or was that for the protesters? Because there is also this sort of sideline um, about protesting. Like, maybe the, the, the North American equivalent will be, like, the... Um... What do we call it for the longest time? The the one percenter oh, thing on like Wall the Street. Occupy Wall Street. There we go. Occupy Wall Street. Yeah. It's, it seems like the 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 brother, the middle brother, who went to college, spent a lot of his time protesting, and it seems like that's that's very much the norm for the, the middle class to do in South Korea. I mm-hmm. gather from this movie. I, I know very little about their uh, political strife, but I think that Agent Yellow was for the protesters. Oh, okay, to get them to disperse, right? Yeah. Yeah. But either way, every everybody gets gassed. Um, you know, it gets lit on fire, it gets stabbed, it gets shot. It's, it's really like the passion of the Christ, you know, (laughs) (laughs) where they're just, they're just whipping them and they got that cat on nine tails. By the way, have you seen that movie, Passion of the Christ? Mm -hmm. It's fucked up. Like, it's really fucked up. I, uh, I saw it through all the people talking about it. You know, those movies where you don't actually have to see them. Like, I don't think I ever needed to see Titanic to who have seen Titanic. Well, yeah. You like, know what I mean? It's like Infinity War. I don't I don't need to see like it. Avatar. I, know, I, know I don't need... all about it. I, like, I've seen it, but I didn't, I didn't need to see it. No, not at all. The internet could The collective hive mind has seen it. Yeah. Yeah, we, we, we all are one now on the internet. <laughs> yeah. We have complete... By the way, we have completely skipped over this entire movie. We're talking about it in parts. We're talking about it in parts. We talked about the monster. Yep. Misunderstood. We talked about the family. Really endearing. Yeah. That little girl... Goes without food for a very long time. She's basically relying on the scraps that people are keeping in their pockets. That, yeah, that the she's other monster super resourceful. Very resourceful. Uh, at one point, though, the monster kidnaps 
I say kidnaps because like that's kind of what he does. Yeah. Uh, these two like ragtag brothers who yeah. steal food to survive. Uh, Kim, please, it is not stealing. It is a sorry. I uh, was gonna say. And oh, they have I'm this, sorry. <laughs> and they have this really interesting name for it, and I think that's a really good um, theme for the movie. Yes. Is that uh, what is it called? Uh, the easiest way to pronounce it, I believe, is sorry. Like, it's it's two very defined syllables, like sorry. And it's it's a term for when you take what you need because you need it. So yeah. it's like stealing from farmers or stealing from the snack shack. But it's not called stealing because they're doing it to survive. Yeah. And that's exactly what the monster does. Right? Exactly. Like, he's, he's not, he's neither good nor bad. He's just sorry. Um, and... Oh. <laughs> I think that's exactly where it comes from. And we see that in every single one of the characters in the movie. Granddad talks about how uh, our main character's brother and sister shouldn't be so hard on him. How, like, how could he sleep at a time like this? He, you know, he says that his develop was stunted. His development was stunted when he was younger because dad was never around. He was, he was always at the cart and he wasn't there to provide for him. So he was always relying on sorry from farmers uh, to eat. And he lacked protein, so he didn't develop as much. And he was always beaten up by those farmers for stealing their food. Yeah. And so he had, like, uh, conjuncted brain development. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, we see that with some street kids that are that are also in the area. And with the monster. And it's, it is such a brilliant theme to bring into a monster movie. Yeah, because, it, I mean, there's always that, that moment in the monster movie where you're like, who is the monster, us or them? Yeah. But it just goes to show that everything's just trying to live. Yeah. And it, it's so complicated. Yeah, I mean, it, you could say this about a lot of things, but it's it's in, it's almost impossible to hate somebody when you know their entire story. You know? Like, that's why biopics of horrible people are always interesting to watch. Um... Because you come out of them going like, oh my god, yeah, if I lived through all of their life experiences, you know, maybe things would have turned out exactly the same. You know, like like Jeffrey Dahmer, for example. Uh, John, are you saying that if... what? <laughs> no, I'm just... what I'm trying to say is like when you watch my friend Dahmer, like you know that this kid is going to grow up to do horrible things. Yeah. And the, you want to sort of reach into the screen and stop him, but you can see how he progressed from one point to the next and, you know, to the, ultimately to like this terrible conclusion. And, you know, if things were just a little different, you know, his entire story could have changed. Mm -hmm. And, it, you know, you could have dropped almost anybody into that situation and they may have also turned out the same if, you know, they were predisposed to violent tendencies. <laughs> Yeah, I definitely. Well, I think in that situation, you definitely need to have the right. Um, you definitely need to be starting from the right starting line. Yeah, but that was there, a bad example I brought up. No, but if there are the, if there are, I think it's a, it's all about the starting line and also the hurdles on that race kind of thing. So I think it's a combination of the two. But I see what you mean. Yeah, I like monster movies for this reason. You know, like it, it's it's not uncommon. You see it in all of them, but it is always a surprise when you watch a monster movie and you learn more about your own humanity. Right. I think that's what yeah, they're, they're so I, good at. It makes me it makes me feel shitty as a human. Like every time I watch a monster movie, it just makes me feel awful. Um, we haven't seen Okja. Uh, I'm not ready to cry yet. Yeah, like I, I know sad. it's gonna be really sad, and I like 
But goddamn, Tilda Swinton, Jake Gyllenhaal, it's going to be a good movie. Well, and, like, we're both vegan. Like, we don't eat animals for this very reason. So, like, <laughs> I don't uh, I don't know if I can watch it. We should totally fucking watch it. Like, every, I, mean, I know, Paul Dano's in it, and Paul Dano's so good. Everything Paul Dano is in is the happiest, saddest movie ever. He is in the happiest, saddest movies of all time. Right? Swiss Army Man, if you guys haven't seen it. Jeez, please. Oh, and it's oh, absurd. Like, I wouldn't call it horror. Um, I wouldn't call it horror, but it's definitely got a dead person in the whole movie. So, like... <laughs> <laughs> It's like um, feel good death movie. I don't know. It, we, it is so hard it's to explain. So absurd. Yeah, it is. It is a. It is a feel good movie that is is all about a dead body. Yeah, for like weird people. Yeah, and fart jokes like full <laughs> of fart jokes. Yeah. Fart jokes from a dead body. Like, how do you pitch that movie? Like, oh, we got Paul Dano and the corpse of Daniel Radcliffe, and you know they just uh, they make a for like, they make a. Make a home for themselves in the forest, and they fart all the time. Yeah, it's like Castaway, but if instead of Wilson you have dead Daniel Radcliffe. Yeah, and if you think that those farts are just played for laughs, I'm telling you right now, third act turn, there is an emotional beat involving those farts, and it's sad, and it's it gets me every time, <laughs> and it's 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 crazy how many times I've seen a movie about a farting corpse. <laughs> um, is there anything else you wanted to uh, say about the host? Uh, you know, honestly, I'm really glad you brought up the sorry stuff because I almost forgot about it. I don't know why. Because that is, like, the central theme of the movie. There's If there's one thing that I could bring up, there is this amazing shot in the movie where the family's finally safe from the military. They've, they've escaped the hospital. They've gotten past the barrier. They've bribed the right people. They're no longer on the run from bad guys and good guys together. They're, they're having dinner. And everything's quiet. And they're just eating cup ramen and... You could not stop talking about how good that cup ramen must be. Okay, I mean, it's the <laughs> land of cup ramen. I like. know, he's just like, I bet their ramen noodles are so good. I'm like, I'm sure they are. Here's the thing, Kim. Uh, you like pretzels, right? You've, you've probably never had a bad pretzel. Oh, you're saying if we went to Germany. If yeah. we went to fucking Germany, those I, pretzels. I understand. Yeah. But, you know, a lot of people get excited about cup ramen noodles. <laughs> I just have to say, they're like 50 cents. Well, well, yeah, exactly. What else can you spend 50 cents on that you know is going to be delicious? <laughs> A bubble gum. That's it. That's all you get. <laughs> okay. A pickle. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> okay, you're seen. You're seen. <laughs> yeah, just the just that moment where the, the family is just having a quiet dinner and they're you can tell that they kind of feel guilty because they, they they've gone through all this this trouble to to escape because they know that Han Su, I, I think the the girl that they're trying to rescue hasn't eaten in like two or three days and you know even though they should not stop looking and they don't want to stop looking they have to stop and eat which is something that she doesn't have the luxury of doing and it's this really sad moment and they're all very quiet and then from the background you know you see Hyun Su sort of pop up and she starts eating dumplings and they start feeding her and not a word is exchanged right and then you know we cut to her in the sewer and she's just collecting rainwater in her hand it's just it's gorgeous filmmaking yeah it's it's hard because in that scene, I get confused because I thought maybe she had gotten out and she was just there and that's how they were presenting it. But then, yeah, you get you go back to the reality that she's still stuck. Yeah, like they're family and they, whether or not they are separated, they are always together. It's it's great. Um, yeah, it's really sad. So, like, that's, that's like my favorite moment in the movie. One thing I do want to talk to you about, though, is um, how do you feel about her death at the end of the movie? I, I didn't understand it. Yeah. Um, and maybe it was just like a disconnect in the style of filmmaking that we're used to. Maybe. Um, because when they mourn her death, 
it's not over. The monster still needs to be killed. Yeah. So dad kind of like bucks up and he makes sure the monster gets dead uh, <laughs> alongside the brother and sister who are throwing Molotov cocktails and shooting flaming arrows. Yeah. And then when we cut to the final shot where he's in the shop mm-hmm. um, with the boy that Hyun Soo rescued. Yeah. Um, there's no Hyun Soo. And I was like, I guess she actually did die mm-hmm. because they were like holding her in their arms, but it was smoky and it was raining and it was just like, everybody was grungy and gross. And it, I, her eyes were closed, but I didn't get that she yeah. was actually dead. Yeah, Cause know. that was, didn't seem like the type of movie. Like she had made it all that way, way through and she persevered so much and the family persevered so much. I thought she was the only character that was safe. Yeah. Yeah, and in an American movie, she would be. Mm-hmm. You know, like, you, you wouldn't kill the kid, basically. Like, it'd, it'd be like if somebody drowned. They'd be holding her, everything would look, everything would be getting dark, and it's it's like, oh no, how's she gonna get out of this one? And then she coughs up some water and everything's fine. But you do have to say, too, even in the end, after the monster, we've seen a bunch of skulls, we know the monster's eaten a bunch of people. In the very end, those two kids are inside that monster, completely intact, through that entire situation. Yeah. Never once did he chomp down on them. I think he swallows people whole and then his, like, stomach dissolves them. Do you think so? Well, it's kind of what you do. He just doesn't have teeth. Mm. He's like a duck. I guess maybe. Or a Homer Simpson. <laughs> I guess maybe. Yeah. You're right, though. Maybe it was trying to keep him safe. I don't know. What if it came down from the bridge and it was like, friends! And everybody got, like, freaked out and started running. See, you don't know, because that scene is so... Like, if you watch that scene, in the, you could watch it with so many different vantage points. Like, you could watch it like, this monster is fucking shit up. You could watch it like, oh, no, he's scared. Or you could watch it like, oh, he's, like, trying to communicate. Yeah. yeah and he only attacks once he's been attacked, yada, yada. Something that I can't get out of my head regarding, like, her death and dad. His father, which, oh my god, when his dad died, like, that... That scene is really... Oh, there are so many, like, they don't run because they keep trying to attack him. If they had just kept running, they would have been fine. Oh, it's it's nuts. That's the only moment where the monster is, like, vindictive. He just comes to kill the the grandpa, and then he leaves. And, yeah, he basically smashes him, too. Like, he doesn't take him with him to eat later. It's just purely self-defense or or revenge in a way. But that that moment where where he runs away from his dad because the cops are coming, but he comes back to put a newspaper over his face, just it fucking got me. But it's like dad didn't do great with his first son, and he did a lot better with his other two kids. And you know they grew up to be you know maybe like relatively successful in the business world and successful in uh, the athletic the athletic world. You almost see the same with him. Like he goes back and he starts running the shop, but. He wasn't, you know, as much as he always tried, he wasn't being the quote-unquote best father to his daughter. And when he's left with this other kid to take care of, all of a sudden he sort of shapes up and he's he's doing better on his second go-around. Which, um, I don't necessarily like looking at his character like that, but I'm wondering if that's true, if that's what they were going for when they were making the movie. Mm-hmm. I don't know, I always saw him as a good dad, even in the beginning, because he's trying to save up pennies for the daughter for a new cell phone. Yeah, no, totally. And yeah. he is trying to rescue her in that scene and it's just a mis- it's just a complete misfortune that he ends up grabbing the wrong girl and he loses Hyun So in that thing. But it's chaos. The fact yeah. that he even grabbed her in the first place is a feat. Yeah. And he's so brave in that scene. Like you you first see him and he's kind of bubbling around and he seems like an kind of like a a bit of an idiot. Yeah. But he's so brave. He keeps trying to get that monster to save the people that are trapped. Yeah, strangers. So, like, I think of him highly very early on in the film. Yeah. Like, yeah, he's, 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 not, he's not a complete waste of a person. You know, like, he's still a good person. 
Yeah. He's just got a lot to learn. He's he's got to grow up. Like he's he's in arrested development. He's basically a man baby. He's a, <laughs> he's a big boy. Um one last thing I wanted to mention is I just really love how the creature moves. I love that he's kind of like a bat, but he's got this mm. um swinging from the vines type thing about yeah, him. Yeah, he really stays out of that water. Yeah, and how he swings through like the gripping and stuff. Apparently they based the design off this weird mutated fish that they had found once where its spine was like an S shape. So it was able Ooh. to bend uh, kind of fluidly, weird. which is great. I think that's awesome. It's a really interesting creature and I really love how it moves. It's really intimidating. But yeah, that's, that's all I wanted to say. So what's your Ebert rating? I am going to give this movie a three and a half out of four. I think I'm also going to give this a three and a half out of four. I don't know why I don't want to give it a four. I think it's just because, like, I find the end so strange. I love the way this movie is executed. There's just a couple scenes where I'm confused. Is it mainly, like, when the American soldier shows up right before they are about to perform surgery on him and they explain how there is no virus and this and that? Yeah, and how he's supposed to get, like, a lobotomy, but then he... Then he has the the hole in his head, but he's still functioning, and then he escapes and stuff. And it's just like I wouldn't have given him the lobotomy; I would have had him escape, like as they were trying uh, about to, to give it to him. Because the the entire last half of the movie, I'm expecting him to like flub up and turn into a pile of goo. Well, what if what they did was actually what actually fixed him? Instead of giving him a lobotomy, he they, they awoke the man inside him. <laughs> I know, but I I'm just confused. Yeah. God, I, li- I really liked this movie. Though. And like if, if uh, the daughter was going to die the entire time, I would have made sure that scene was super, super clear. Mm. Um, because I didn't I didn't feel the weight of that ending like I think I'm supposed, supposed to have. Yeah. I, fucking great movie, though. Holy shit. But we want to know what you guys thought of both of these movies. Which one did you like more, Cloverfield or The Host? Let us know on Twitter at NOFS Podcast and on Instagram and our Facebook group, The Horror Fiends of Nightmare on Film Street, which you can find at facebook.com slash groups slash horror fiends of NOFS. And if you have a quick second, please leave us a five-star rating and review wherever you're grabbing this podcast. And if you aren't already subscribed, please hit that subscribe button. It really helps us get the show in front of more fiends and helps us climb the podcast charts. We are controlling transmission. This week's episode of Nightmare on Film Street is brought to you by Deadly Grounds, coffee to die for. Made from 100% Arabica beans, Deadly Grounds is horror-themed gourmet coffee. This week's blend is Griselda's Cauldron. Brewed in partnership with the hilarious House of Frightenstein, Griselda's Cauldron is a ghastly creme brulee concoction. Use the promo code NIGHTMARE at checkout and get 15% off your entire purchase at getdeadly.ca. And this month, Nightmare on Film Street has conjured up the Wake the Dead giveaway. Enter now at nofspodcast.com slash contest to win huge prize packs, including Deadly Grounds Coffee, Nightmare on Film Street t-shirts, swag, and more. Enter now at nofspodcast.com slash contest. That's it for our discussion this week on Creature Features. We're going to stick around for a few more minutes to play a game that's going to be in our companion episode for Patreon only. This is a little something I put together that I'm stupid proud of. It's a game that I'm calling Creature from the Blue Lagoon. Yeah, so 
We're going to be pitting Creature Features against Romance. And you have to tell me what of the two movies in that title perform better at the, at the box office. So we're going to find out once and for all whether it was beauty that killed the beast. Oh, my God. Right? <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, this is great. If you want to hear that game, head over to Patreon at patreon.com slash Nightmare on Film Street and support the show with a monthly pledge for all those bonus episodes and swag and more. But that's it from us this week. I'm John. I'm Kim. Stay, Stay creepy. creepy. It appears you made it out alive. Just long enough to tell the tale of the nightmare on Film Street. Ow! Help us grow the horde. Leave a review on iTunes or wherever you subscribe. Continue this week's conversation on Twitter by following at NOFS Podcast. And as always, more terror can be found lurking on our website, www.nightmareonfilmstreetpodcast.com. Until next week, stay creepy, fiends.